Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the J Reels Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Reels, delivering the latest and greatest in the world of sports. Today, my guest is Sal Akata. You can see him throughout the upcoming baseball season on SNY with the Baseball Night in New York crew, or listen to him host on WOR 710 AM in New York. He'll provide some insight on his sports talk journey, moving up the ranks in the radio business, working with the famed Mike and the Mad Dog radio program on WFAN in the mid-2000s, his near-career suicide moment, but more importantly, how he overcame that, which led to his comeback into business today. We'll touch on the New York sports scene, and uh, if he thinks quarterback Kirk Cousins is the right fit for the Jets, just to name a topic. So, without further ado, my conversation with Sal Licata. To get started, Sal, uh, first and foremost, uh, for those who don't know you outside of New York, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where did you get your passion for sports? I don't come from a passionate sports family, but my father is not a passionate sports fan. Wow. Um, so I kind of, I don't know if it was my uncles who got me into it or my grandfather or even my mother, but I just, I remember playing baseball when I was younger. The Mets were good. You know, I was born in 79, so, you know, the 86 team, obviously, when I, when I was a young kid, and it was great to go out to Shea Stadium. My aunt would get tickets to go to the games occasionally, and it was just, I guess, snowballed from there. Um, so it always started with baseball, and whether it's like I said, playing little league, going to Shea Stadium as a kid, um, or just watching, you know, those those good Mets teams in the mid to late '80s. That's where it started, and then just kind of snowballed from there. Something that I loved, and you know, football and basketball and hockey followed, and you know, uh, that was basically it. That for whatever reason, I took a liking to it, and it became my passion. And it's amazing too, because the thing, just like myself, and I'm sure a lot of other people. Uh, considering growing up with sports and taking it to the next level as far as doing what we do, whether it's me doing a podcast or obviously you on the radio, uh, if you could kind of take us through the path uh, to where you are now, not only, of course, we see you on SNY, but also working uh, the Sports Zone WOR 710, uh, kind of lead us through your journey uh, up the ranks in the uh, radio TV world of yours. Right. Well, here's the thing. For me, you know, we talk about starting as a passionate sports fan, where that starts from, okay? And then it turns into where I remember vividly in 1995 discovering Mike and the Mad Dog. One of my friends in high school told me about, you know, oh, do you listen to the fan? And to that point, I hadn't. Like I said, my father's not a sports fan, so I don't know where I would have, you know, initially uh, grew up listening to that outside of my friend, you know, putting me onto it. 95 was kind of, I was, uh, what, 14, 15 years old, something like that. And I fell in love with it. Prior to that, it was always, oh, I love, you know, Marv Albert, maybe want to be a play-by-play guy. But after discovering Mike and the Mad Dog and hearing them vent and be the voice essentially for me was something that I knew I wanted to do. And to a point where I would call, I remember making my first phone call. It was the night Edgar Martinez hit a big double in game, I don't, I don't, I forget which game it was, but it was 95 series. Game five. Yeah, division yeah. series. Yeah, and it was it was not the night that they got eliminated. I think it was the night before that where I remember being at my buddy's house and we were having a sleepover, and I called late night, overnight fan, called Beningo, and I saw that tape somewhere. i got to actually go back and get that. But I, I became a caller to not only Joe, but I would call Mike and Chris all the time, and Summers, any chance I could get, to, to voice my opinion. I always felt, since I discovered that and knew that there was an outlet for it, I needed to get my voice to matter, my opinion to matter, because I always felt like I knew what I was talking about. And that, I think, is what ultimately drove me to do what I do today. I needed some kind of outlet. Now, remember, this is before 
there was, you know, YouTube for everybody, right. or everybody could do podcasts, or Twitter could give you a voice. There was no outlet other than calling the sports talk radio station, and obviously in this case the fan. So that is what kind of drove me to do what I do today. No, and that's great because as fans, and of course growing into the platforms that we both uh, launch and both, uh, of course, uh, try to perfect besides being, you know, in the bar talking with other people, just be able to interact with fans and even interact with your peers, uh, especially in the case with, let's say Mike and the mad dog, you starting out and of course working your way up there. Cause, uh, obviously, uh, for those who don't know, I know, uh, you had produced along with, uh, Mark Malusis there. What was that? I guess in the mid two thousands, you were, uh, producing, uh, Mike and the mad dog show, correct? Yeah, so I went, so after college, I tried, when I went to Suffolk Community College, I went, I had, which out on Long Island, I went to, broad, you know, for broadcasting, but I didn't love the teacher, <laughs> and I don't know, I never was a good student, like, I always just wanted to, you know, get to the point, and then I had to listen to this guy try to tell me of what I needed to do when I knew that he didn't know what I knew about sports, or at least what I thought I knew at the time, and it was just a, it didn't work. That format didn't work for me the way that it was laid out at Suffolk, but I went and ended up dropping out, and I was working full-time at Home Depot, and mm. then, you know, through listening to the fan, I heard about the commercials for broadcasting school, and I felt like that might be the best way for me, and then I went there, and then I ended up meeting Bob Husler through the broadcasting school, who then got me an internship, and that started in January 2003. Um, I got a call from Eddie Scazzeri, and I remember, you know, oh, my God, the Eddie Scazzeri <laughs> calling my house saying, would you come in to interview for an internship? And um, So I started in 2003, January, at the fan as an intern, and then mm. slowly just worked myself up, got hired as a part-timer, and did as much work as I could there, whether it's cutting tape or being on the board, and then eventually got hired as a full-time producer, and then eventually got moved uh, to be the full-time board op um, on Mike and the Mad Dog show. And, you know, I got a chance to host some shows randomly and just kind of built up from there. And what was your fondest memory working at FAN? Or even in particular working with uh, Mike and Chris? Oh, boy, there's so many, it's hard to choose. I just, I mean, my whole thing after listening to those guys for years was to become a part of their family. I always just wanted to be accepted in that family. And a lot of the stuff that people hear or see when they were on Yes, you know, you're, it's not, it, there's a lot of great stuff that happens behind the scenes in that special building, you know, before they moved into the city within Astoria. Right. So for me overall, I mean, you could, look, there are certain moments that are just incredible experiences, whether it's going to the Super Bowl on, on a private plane with Mike and Chris or, uh, going to Yankee games with Mike and Chris, Yankee playoff games, just doing things that, like, I can't even imagine that I'm in with these guys who I idolize. But I, I would say that even just sitting in the newsroom with all the guys behind the scenes and Mike and Chris coming in and out during breaks during March Madness where Mike would buy pizza for everybody. And hmm. it was just it was just so cool to be a part of that family. And even not just them, Summer, same thing, becoming – close with Summers or taking the subway to go to a Knicks game with Joe Beningo. Those are just, man, looking back, those are some of the greatest time. I guarantee you, you ask anybody who worked there that time in the old Astoria building mm-hmm. when Mike and Chris were, were in their prime back there, those, those behind-the-scenes newsroom talks and, and things like that, those are the best. Those are memories I'll, I'll never forget. And it's interesting because speaking of, of which, I, I called it Black Friday 
uh, was it October 19, uh, 2006, the day after the Mets lost Game 7 of the uh, NLCS to the Cardinals. And I remember Mike and Chris, they gave you a couple minutes to kind of vent about, of course, and I know you being a huge Met fan, uh, venting about uh, what took place the night before, you know, the Andy Chavez catch. Uh, of course, we don't need to bring up what happened after that, Yadi Molina, and then, of course, Carlos Beltran. But uh, I'll never forget, they gave you a couple minutes, and even then, uh, I could just sense the pain and the suffering, uh, just having to go through that series, and especially that game before. So uh, if there's one lasting memory that I have, and this is before you even on the air, or not being able to listen to some of those uh, shows that you did, uh, you know, part-time or did, you know, spot shows. Uh, so the one thing I have to ask, what do you remember most about that day, considering the the pain from the night before and uh, the Mets losing that series? You know, Jason, I'm glad you brought that up. Oddly enough, I had just gone back. One of my buddies on Twitter, uh, well, one of my buddies on Real Life, but in Twitter he was uh, tweeting out his old calls that he made to the fan, Jimmy Traina, mm. Sports Sports Illustrated. So it kind of inspired me to go back and looked through all my old stuff. And then I found <clears throat> not just the tapes where I would call, but I found DVDs of stuff that I had taped while I was on. And you're right. That was the first time I was ever on. That was before I ever hosted a show or anything. Mike and Chris, more Mike, for whatever reason, Mike took a liking to me. They right. brought me in that day afterward and had me in studio with them, which, like, looking back, and I went back and recently watched, I just incredible to be on tv and on wfan in studio with mike and the mad dog is i mean <laughs> that's that's got to be uh, you know a career highlight if not the career highlight but i sure. remember vividly going to all those playoff games i think i went to every home playoff game in 2006 taking my sister or going with a bunch of friends uh you know from the fan uh at the time we, we, would, we would go to those games and that was devastating because we expected the mess to win i mean you remember oh yeah that was team that should have won the World Series. It's different from 2000 or 2015 when the Mets were not the best team. I thought in 2006, and I don't think I was alone, that that was the best team that year. Agreed. Uh, you know, the Yankees were out of the way. They weren't going to have to worry about them. And to lose the series the way that they did to the Cardinals in the fashion that they did in that game seven was devastating. So, yeah, I remember being able to vent about it. And, you know, it was it was less venting and just more like disbelief and getting the pain and sorrow off my chest with Mike and Chris. But that was, that was I don't know, it probably wasn't as war, as bad losing Game 5, 2000 to the Yankees right. uh, at home. But that was, you know, on par for one of the worst losses. And I, I think I said at the time it was one of the worst losses I've ever experienced as a fan. Well, in a few minutes we're going to talk about probably – Something a loss that would top that, but uh, of course yeah, I'm going to spare you for a few. <laughs> I'm going to spare you a few minutes for that because before we talk and talk about sports, just to kind of wrap up, uh, you know, the early days of the fan, uh, and of course without getting into it, Sal, um, I know that there was an incident that uh, obviously you were no longer a part of the fan, and of course you had to move on. But my question to you is, uh, was there a time that you thought you wouldn't get back into the business? I mean, again, not knowing the severity of what took place, what happened, but. Um, was it one of those things where you worried about getting back, or uh, I don't know how yeah, deep? No, I'll explain it. I'll explain it to you. It was, and I'm glad you asked because I mean, there's uh, there was at the time some stuff written on, and at the time I didn't, uh, you know, maybe one person reached out to see what happened. I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to get in any more trouble than I already was. But ah, okay. Years have gone by, obviously, sure. and I've had to answer that question or discuss what happened at several you know, job interviews along the way. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not something I shy away from. It's not something I'm certainly proud of, but it, it's something that happened. So 
in short, it, it was probably people think it's a lot worse than what actually happened. It was something that happened kind of off the scenes. I'm not sure if you remember, they used to do this show at Buffalo Wild Wings where it was like a New York sports fan, and, I don't know, Giannotti used to host it, and I did one with him. Right. Eventually they wanted me to do it, and then I wanted to get the broadcasting school that I went to to sponsor it, and I was uh. kind of looking for them, because I've heard some stuff, I heard at the time some stuff about them, and I was looking to see if I could get maybe reimbursed or somehow um, part of the tuition that I paid taken care of, because they were going to be a sponsor on this thing, and I figured, you know, I'm young and maybe going to be an up-and-coming host and, you know, whatever. I know they've worked with Beningo, who also went there right. for years. So I was seeing if there was a way that that could happen. And in one of the emails that I sent to them, after, like, I, I, wrote, I wrote to them for a couple of times and then I wrote back. And then I sent an email, which was kind of like a, you know, I was a little frustrated. And not that I ever threatened them, because I wouldn't do that. But they took it as a threat that if they didn't, sponsor this show or whatever it was at the time that I was going to go on WFAN radio and and rip them which mm. was not the case because I didn't even have a show on WFAN to do so so that was never the case but I understand why they where they were concerned and then I obviously understand why CBS as a company was concerned so the broadcasting school took that email, went to CBS and WFAN and said, you know, this guy is threatening us. We just want your guarantee to make sure he's not going to say anything bad on the air about us. And by the time it went all the way up the ranks, like higher than Chernoff, you know, they look at me and say, who the hell is this guy? We don't know who he is. And they, they'd rather not deal with the concern or the, um, you know, I, I guess the, the issues that could come from that right. and just, just cut me loose. And that's exactly what happened. So I know Chernoff and Mike... Uh, both tried to save my job, but they couldn't because, like I said, it just became uh, a, a much more significant matter. Now, um, since then, I got hired back to WFAN, so I kind of feel like I put that whole negative thing behind me. Years later, after a few years, I reached out right. and they ended up hiring me back, and then I ended up leaving to go to OR at the Sports Zone, as you mentioned, for more of an opportunity. Mm. But in the time where I got fired, I mean, I remember the phone call was devastated. I mean, you know. You're thinking your career is over, your dream, my dream job, that's it, it's done. Right. What am I going to do? So there was, there was, of course, concern whether I was going to be able to get back in uh, to the business, whether I had to move and go somewhere else. I didn't know what I was going to have to do. And luckily, um, about, I'd say within two weeks, I was able to, I ran into Chris Carlin. I happened to be at a premiere in the city for uh, an Adam Sandler movie. I think it was, uh, what the hell, Grown Ups. I was at a premiere for Grown Ups because I got tickets through Eddie Erickson, who also worked at the fan at the time, and I was depressed, as you could imagine. And I was walking past the SNY studios outside 51st Street and saw Chris Carlin, and he waved me to come in. And I went in and talked to him and told him what happened, and they happened to be looking for people at the time. And they and he said, let me try to get you in here. And then I met with the bosses there, told them what happened. They gave me a, a chance to be on the air and said, We'll give you an opportunity. One of these nights, we'll schedule you, and if we like what you do, then you know maybe we'll we'll give you some more. And that's basically how I got back in. And I was very lucky to have that opportunity, and then I made the most of it, and have kind of snowballed more work, obviously, since then. This is going back now eight years ago. No, and that's great. And I love it, especially during the baseball season. I love when you come on, uh, especially with the baseball in New York. You know, uh, Doug Williams, of course, Mark, John Harper, etc. Yeah, I just your passion, everything exudes, especially when you talk about the Mets and. Listen, uh, we'll get to the Mets in a second when we turn our attention to sports. But, uh, no, it's great to see, you know, not only just uh, in studio doing that stuff, but also 
getting back on the radio, I'm sure it was a, a huge relief, you know, considering what happened in the past to be able to have these opportunities. Yeah, and people don't realize, like, first of all, getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, at the time, like I said, it was devastating, but it really changed my perspective because I did have a bad attitude at the time. Not that I thought I did anything that I deserved to get fired from. I mean, yeah, technically I can understand it, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and I, I did have an attitude thinking that because I worked at the fan, I had some kind of importance. And it was this, you know, I was really insecure and I, you know, uh, had other issues going on in life, but I used that as like my, you know, beat my chest and, oh, look at me, I work at the fan, I'm, I'm somebody. And in reality, when you have that taken away from you, you do a lot of self-evaluation and understand that there's a lot more to life than what you do. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't mean anything. And I had to learn to live with that, and it made me a better person and changed me in many different ways. And that's just one small way, but over the course of the rest of that year and obviously the rest of my life, I feel like that was the most important thing that ever happened to me. It changed. I would not be where I am today had I not gotten fired. I would not have had it as a successful as career uh, had that not happened to me. So I'm glad that it did happen, and I'm glad I learned from it, and certainly was able, glad I was able to rebound and you know, get back to where I want to be. And there was a lot that went into it. I, was, I did shows in Florida mm. uh, via an ISDN line from my apartment to try to get back into radio, and I had, like I said, different interviews with all different stations before working my way back eventually to the fan and then to OR. So there's been a lot that, that goes into it that uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunities and been happy to make the most of them. No, that's excellent, and uh, it's great to not only, of course, like I said before, to see you, uh, you know, back on TV, but also uh, on the airwaves at uh, WOR, which I'm sure has to be challenging in its own right. You know, going up against the fan or even ESPN for that matter, but it's great because uh, obviously it's another station, another platform, so to speak, to kind of get your name and not only that, but even get the station out, despite it being the home of the Mets. Um, but again, you know, it's almost as if it's not your own station, but it's almost like, hey, what is this WOR? And then, of course, they could hear you on there as opposed to, let's say. FAN, which, as we all know, the plethora of guests, you know, best, you know, radio station in the country, and then of course ESPN, et cetera. So I'm sure, j- just based on that alone, that has to be a, a significant plus for you. It is. It is a. It is a challenge, and believe me, I mean, most people don't leave. I probably would not have left FAN the first time unless I got fired, and right. then the second time, I was comfortable enough in my own skin to know that I can succeed without FAN. Okay, I don't need WFAN, and OR provided me a different platform. I, I understand what WFAN is. I mean, I grew up loving it. I yeah. loved it. I wanted to be. So I know that WOR is not that. It's not a sports station, so it's a challenge to try to build that up. But in my mind, it was worth it with the people that I went there with, the bosses who you know value me in a way that I feel like I deserve to be valued. Um, it, it's certainly a challenge, as you mentioned. I look forward to the challenge. And... You, look, the odds are, I mean, you, you can't really compare the two. I right. Mean, WFN has, has been so great for so many years, and they're a full sports station. It's just not like that on OR. But I still feel comfortable in being able to do the most that I possibly can with this opportunity. And, you know, you never know. Maybe they expand more sports or who knows where it leads. But I believe that just because you you – don't do a show on the number one sports station doesn't mean that it's not the number one sports show. I'll put my shows up against anybody. Right. And I feel, I feel good about that. And I feel, you know what, it's made me a better talk show because at Fan, you could go there and do a show on the overnight and you'll get calls regardless. At OR, it's not necessarily like that. And if you don't get phone calls, you really have to become a better host. How are you going to talk through the three hours and, 
you know, I've been doing regular shows there for four-plus years. The calls now have built up a little bit. It's starting to become more of a destination, you know, for sports fans as they become more familiar and aware of it. But right. it makes you a better talk show host, too, so I, I love that. I wouldn't trade anything. I'm very happy with OR, and I look forward to the challenge of trying to compete and make it a legit sports destination for the listeners in the city. Oh, good stuff there, Sal. Now, uh, as far as the starting our attention to sports, and I, we'll start with the Mets only because – you know, two years ago this time, coming off of a World Series, you're thinking that, hey, maybe the Mets are ready to take over the town. The Yankees, you know, coming off their uh, performance in the uh, wildcard game against the Astros and an older team, and uh, a lot of people thought that uh, it was going to take them, you know, quite a few years to rebuild. And then now, as a Mets fan, you look at it and you say to yourself, in a blip, blink of an eye, the Mets went from kind of being from 2015 back to their, uh, you know, pre-2015, if you want to go 2013, and the Yankees didn't even skip a beat. But my question to you as far as the Mets are concerned, what do you think, I, and I understand it's a bunch of what-ifs, but for argument's sake, if the pitching is intact, do you think the Mets will be playing some meaningful games in September for a wild card or, hey, even better yet, uh, pie in the sky, a division title? Yeah, I, I, I do think, and I know Alderson came out, I guess, last week and said that they can beat the Nats because they did it before. I do believe that they can. Now, will they? Hard to sit here and say that on this date. I think right now I'm concerned, Jason, with uh, with Matt. I know I, I probably shouldn't be, but right. the start have been awful from him, and I think he's a big X factor in this rotation. But, yeah, I think the Mets are built to contend for a postseason spot at the very least. If everything goes perfectly for the Nationals, Mets aren't good enough to catch them, even right. if all goes right. But usually things don't work out perfectly for any team. So let's say the Nats come back to the pack a little bit and everything goes right, or at least close to, uh, as, as, you know, close to perfect as it can for the Mets. I think they can compete with the Nationals for a division title. Again, on paper, they weren't as good probably in 2015, and they were able to win. So I don't see any reason why they can't, assuming that DeGrom... Syndergaard stay healthy, and you hope to get one other guy, whether it's Matt, who I believe still can be that guy, Harvey, or Wheeler, or you don't want any other guys in that rotation for that matter, pitching to be that legit third guy behind those two. They have enough offense. Cespedes is going to be a beast this year. I mean, again, it's all assuming health, but I That's, think you can yeah. say that with, with every team. If Bryce Harper goes down for three months, Nationals aren't going to be as good as they would be if they had him healthy. So, get Conforto back. They, it's not like, you know, Jason, you talk about it comparing it to the years before 2015. It's not like they don't have the pieces. And that's right. what was frustrating about those years. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They didn't try no. to build a winning team. They weren't putting players out there that could contend even if everything went well. That's not the case now. It wasn't the case last year. Last year, everything went wrong, all injuries. That's why they fell apart. This year, they are built with enough to contend, assuming the guys stay healthy. And right, we understand it's a big if. My real concern is the everyday player, uh, especially when you're looking at Cespedes, even Bruce for that matter. You know, players that are over 30 years old, you know, Todd Frazier, I understand he's pretty much been durable throughout his career. Cabrera playing at second, obviously he's been nicked up at times uh, during his Met uh, tenure. If the pitching, like we said, if the pitching stays intact, my thing is we can get production from the other positions, but my thing is that, right, is Cespedes Hammy going to start acting up again? Is Cabrera going to be you know, on the shelf for an extended period of time? And then the crazy thing is if Cabrera goes out, who's going to uh, fill his uh, spot? It's going to be Jose Reyes, and we all know he's in his mid-30s. So uh, to me, the age factor is, uh, is just as critical you know, for the everyday player as it is for them to stay healthy just like it is for the starting pitching and the relief pitching. Yeah, and it kind of gets overlooked, you're right, because everybody's talking about the rotation and the starters and blah, 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 and, you know, 
look, age could be a factor. I, I'm not concerned about it necessarily with Frazier and Bruce. Those guys have been able to stay relatively healthy um, throughout the course of their careers. I, you know, one of the one of the younger guys on the team you'd be concerned about his durability, and that's Conforto. So right. you got to make sure Conforto and Cespedes stay healthy and produce. But I don't know if we're just caught up in it because of all the – look, the Mets have had bad luck. I mean, you yeah. can knock them in years past for not going out there and being aggressive, but they've also had horrific luck. Even in 2000, 2016, they had bad luck. 2017, they had awful luck. At some point, you'd think that will level out a little bit. But I think you could look around at other teams and say the same thing as far as, you know, if, if this guy stays healthy. I mean, what if John Carlos Stanton goes down for a few months or whatever yeah. with, uh, with a ripped hammy or something? You don't, you don't know. I mean, the Yankees were, very, they were great last year, but they also were very lucky. So I think you could look around at all baseball teams and say if they lose two or three players – if, if a team got ravaged the way the Mets did last year, they'd have no shot yeah. to um, contend. No, absolutely. And speaking of contention, I mean, the Yankees are going to be the uh, the hot topic all you know, spring and summer here uh, in our neck of the woods. Uh, do you see this team uh, reaching a World Series or even better yet for the Yankee fan uh, winning it all? I wouldn't bet against them, I'll tell you that. I mean, after watching them a year ago, uh, I certainly thought that they would be my favorite to win the World Series this year. But they made a couple of changes, and I know people think that I'm nuts for this, but first of all, they changed the manager, okay? And yeah. I can understand why they did it, but they were they were one game from getting to the World Series in a year where nobody expected them to, to be 500, and they were a game from getting to the World Series. I think the manager deserves a lot of credit. So now you're making a significant change in leadership, which they hope is for the better. I guess it can be, but they hope that it's for the better. We know what Joe Girardi was. And the other thing is Giancarlo Stanton, where, yeah, I get it on paper. You're bringing over the National League reigning MVP uh, and putting them on a team that was, again, as dominant as you could have last year, you know, offensively certainly, and they got great pitching performances. But it doesn't always work like that. And I, I don't think they needed to add Stanton. I would have felt more comfortable with this team had they added a top-line starter, younger uh, and controllable, uh, preferably, but uh, whatever. Uh, a guy that could start at the top of that rotation to go along with Luis Severino, I think, is their, is their biggest glaring need, and they didn't. Stanton came to him on a silver platter. They had to take it, but I don't necessarily think that that move makes them better. So right. with the addition of Boone and Stanton, I actually like them a little less to contend, uh, or I should say not contend, but to uh, they'll contend regardless. Right. I, I will probably not pick them to win the World Series this year based on those two additions, oddly enough. No, interesting point. And I'm just going to turn my attention to basketball just for one question because, of course, there's nothing yeah, really to yeah. talk about here in the uh, you know when it comes to the Knicks and Nets, but. Uh, if you were to look into your crystal ball, and let's say five years from now, because although the Nets aren't going to get the number one pick up until next year after that disastrous trade with the Celtics, but let's say in five years, who will be close to contention in the East? Would it be the Knicks or the Nets? Contention as far as what? We're talking about like actually winning the conference? Yeah, let's say I'll even go as far as saying, yeah, winning the conference. Because, again, if you went around the two, I mean, it's great, but we know Knicks fans are starving for a title. The Nets... I mean, they're barely a blip on the radar here, but considering they have a young coach intact, not only that, but also a couple of young players, if you know Russell could stay healthy and if who knows if they're going to you know, keep uh, Jalil Okafor, if he you know, pans out to be what he once was coming out of Duke. Um, but my thing is, is that if you were to look, let's say five, and I say five years, uh, not to say they're going to win the title, but if one of the two teams, if you felt that they had a better shot of uh, either going to the final or winning the conference, uh, which team would it be? 
Houston, I mean, look, the Knicks are not going to win a title, okay? I'm convinced that they'll never win a title as far as I'm alive. It's been from 73. <laughs> right. I'm just convinced that that's the case. And they've been bad for almost 20 years. And I don't know how old you are, Jason, but there are a lot of – there's an intern at SNY, uh, this, this kid Kevin, and he uh-huh. talks about how he's a Knicks fan, and he's 22 years old. I'm like, dude, oh my God. how is that even possible? You're 22 years old. How, you don't even know that the Knicks were actually good in the 90s. Like, you, How are you a Knicks fan? What's, what has happened the last 20 years of this organization? So th- that's a big problem to me. I like the foundation that the Nets have with Marks and Atkinson. The problem is they're still the Nets. And right. the Knicks do have Porzingis. Even though he's hurt, you assume he'll come back at some point and be somewhat effective. They are going to have more draft picks. I kind of like Mills as a talent evaluator. Uh, I guess you could throw Perry in that mix as well. It'll all depend on, to me, who the, who the next head coach is. Because I think that hiring will be telling of how involved Dolan is or not. And let's just say the Knicks hired Jeff Van Gundy, who Frank Isola wrote about as a possibility mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I didn't even think that was a chance. Yeah. If they hire Van Gundy, then I believe the Knicks would be on a quicker path. If they hire a lesser-name guy, a lesser-known guy, even, I don't know, I like Mark Jackson, but I, Mark Jackson to me still could be a controlled guy. I, then I think I would probably say the Nets um, because I just trust their, their foundation a little bit more than I do the Knicks. Okay, and then I got a couple I others. Bet, but I would bet, I would bet Jason neither of those. I mean, come on. Yeah, no. Neither of those. <laughs> Five years. No, right. Ten years, man. Exactly. Or who knows? Or ten lifetimes. Uh, I'm just trying to <laughs> spread some sort of optimism to the uh, Nick and uh, maybe the ten net fans in the area to, to if there was any chance of them, uh, you know, going to a final, let alone a conference final. Because uh, I figure, hey, by then LeBron will be gone. Or, who knows with the way he's you know he's a machine who knows if he's still be around uh you know five years from now but point of the matter is lebron will be gone uh who knows what the celtics will be like in five years you would think that they're going to be you know have this young team that's going to continue to build but we all know free agency and salary caps things so so let's say the knicks do get jeff van gundy and then all all of a sudden they become a legit you know destination and then they get kyrie irving right i mean the whole picture has changed that can't happen to the Nets. The Nets aren't getting I, – again, I like Atkinson. I like Marks. That's a solid foundation. But the potential upside with, let's say, Van Gundy, Porzingis, and Irving is not a possibility yeah. for the Nets. As slim as it may be, it is still a possibility for the Nets. Right. No, of course. Now, uh, as we turn our attention to the uh, draft in particular, which, uh, of course, will take place next month, uh, if you're a Jet fan – and I'm not a Jet fan, but how I look at it is, is that I would not sign Kirk Cousins. I understand for, you know, instant credibility uh, to kind of put your team from where they were for five wins last year to maybe, you know, make the postseason. I would just invest it in the pick. Uh, if they could try to make a trade with the Browns, I'd move up just to save that money because you're going to kill your cap to me if you sign Kirk Cousins. What are your thoughts about the Jets? Would you go that route to sign Kirk Cousins and, hey, take your shot? Roll the dice and see if you can uh, make a playoff run, or would you just invest in a draft pick and a quarterback and just build from there? No, I would sign Kirk Cousins. I, hmm. I would go. Now, I think the Jets are in a good place either way, but I would go all in for Kirk Cousins. Look, man, life is too short, okay? Yeah. It's been way too long for this team. You know what you're getting in Kirk Cousins. Is he Aaron Rodgers? No, he's not, but people have won with quarterbacks lesser than a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. It can happen. So, yeah. I mean, geez, Nick Foles just won the Super Bowl with the Eagles, so you can't tell me that Kirk Cousins, just because he hasn't won a playoff game, can't win playoff games or you know win the Super Bowl. And I do believe the Jets are building a good young foundation. They'll have more money 
to spend outside of Cousins where they could address certain areas, and they have a lot of draft picks. So you, if you sign Cousins, now you take away the – you alleviate the biggest problem that this franchise has had in years, if not forever, okay? Right. That, that problem is solved. Now you just have to do the easy thing and build around them. They do have to build an offensive line. They'll find weapons. Anunwa's coming back healthy. you got to like that. They've found – they've been able to find – young wide receivers that nobody expected anything of who have developed nicely, and they'll be able to pick some players on defense that can, you know, you hope get to the quarterback and obviously cover. They need some cornerbacks. We get that, but their secondary with Adams and May, I mean, I love what they have with the safety combo with those two guys. So I personally would give Cousins whatever it is uh, that he wants to get him here, get rid of that problem, and then build the rest from there. And I think immediately they become playoff contenders and can you know? And when you get in playoffs, anything can happen. That's right. And then with the Giants, uh, would it be a mistake not to draft a quarterback at number two? Uh, I mean, I want to see who goes number one. Obviously, mm-hmm. but I do think it would be a mistake, just because Jason, it's so rare. And you know this. I mean, it's so rare that you have that opportunity to pick that high in the draft, especially the timing. Of it, the Giants right. have a franchise quarterback who is on the way out. I mean, yeah. I don't care. I love Eli Manning. I have great respect for him. But it, you, Max, you got two years left. So yeah. you're telling me you're going to roll the dice and go with Eli for two years and pick, let's say, Saquon Barkley, or let's say trade down and draft an offensive line, whatever it may be. You're going to roll the dice with Eli, or are you going to ensure yourself you can still have Eli and go out there and go compete this year and potentially next year, depending on how he does and make sure you lock up your future with a franchise quarterback at number two. So I pro- I probably would take the quarterback. If Josh Rosen is there at number two, mm. that would be my pick. If he is not there, then I would have to reassess and decide how much I love the other guys and potentially trade down because I don't know if I would take uh, – I definitely wouldn't take um, uh, Sam Darnold. I right. would potentially take Josh Allen, but I don't know if I would take him with the second overall pick. So I would reassess – depending on what happens with uh, Cleveland in the first pick. And uh, I heard you a couple weeks ago uh, when you mentioned that the only way to erase last year's Super Bowl loss for the Falcons would be to have them win it this upcoming year where obviously the game is in their building. And I could definitely see that. That would certainly be sweet and put the cherry on top. But I I can't even imagine, Sal, that 28-3, to and not to bring up all these bad memories because even though it was, what, uh, 14 months ago? Uh, but it's it, that one, you could probably win the next five Super Bowls. That one would have to stick to your ribs for like 20 lifetimes. And I, I yeah, couldn't even I, imagine what you must have been like after that and even to this day thinking about that game. It was awful. I mean, the only thing that could have been worse is if it happened at a time where it meant more to me. I, I mean, I'm still a fan and still crushed me, but there was a time where it was everything to me. You know, right. now I've you know got a wife and you know I have a career that I love, so there are different things that are more important to oh, me of course. than wins or losses. But no matter how uh, you know, no matter how you slice it, that is as painful a loss as any sports fan could ever have. Mm. And you're probably right. They, there's the only thing a Super Bowl win would do would lessen the the blow that that was. Because I mean, you look at it now. You can't go. You can't watch a football game essentially without having the twenty to three reference come up. It just if you go on Twitter and watch fans talking trash, the Atlanta Falcon fan can never say anything again because right. immediately 28-3 is brought up. My heart breaks for Matt Ryan. He deserves better. Uh, it was 
it was honest. I, I, like, it got me thinking beyond just sports, thinking like in life. How do you, you know, who would have thought? When I became a Falcon fan in 91 or 92, who would have ever thought that the – why would the worst loss in the history of the sport be put on the Atlanta Falcons? <laughs> I mean, they are such right. irrelevant – it was it was so bad, and all the passion that I put into this team for years to have it culminate in that fashion. At twenty three, I felt like Super Bowl champion, and then oh, it, gets, yeah. it goes from the the highest of highs to the absolute worst case scenario. And you're right, that is that's the worst loss I've ever experienced as a fan. Worse than two thousand game five, uh, worse than two thousand six game seven. It, it's just it's the worst loss you could ever imagine. And even winning a Super Bowl next year in their home stadium would not ever fully erase it. It would it would put it on the back burner, and it would oh, yeah. at least make the Falcons able to talk some trash with the Super Bowl win. But it would not ever erase what was the worst loss in the history of the sport. No, absolutely. All right, I can't mo- believe it. I, mean, I can't believe it. No, no, of course. And I, I never forget watching that and just seeing how that that just all unfolded. And I said, no, there's just no way that e- even you know two two point conversions that had to convert and. Uh, and listen, I can't stand New England. I'm definitely not a Patriot fan, but just to, uh, I couldn't even relive it uh, through you, considering how much of a diehard fan you are. So just, but me on the outside, I couldn't even stomach it. So you, I, I, please, there are more important things in life. We understand, but still, that's just uh, one that is just no, way too tough to swallow. You, you never, you never get as far as a sports fan go. You, you never. That is honestly, it's the worst. I mean, Jeff fans could. Jet fans. Are you a Jet fan? No, I'm not. Are you a Jet fan? No, I'm not. Okay, well, Jet fans were feeling bad for me. Look at that. That's how you know. I've got guys at work. Jeez, man, I can't even believe. Jet fans who haven't been to a Super Bowl since Super Bowl three are saying, oh, my God, I can't believe it. There is no – you'd rather not be there. You uh, you know – I just, I still can't even, I still can't believe yeah, that tough. that happened the way that it did. No, absolutely. No, definitely not. All right, two more cookies for me before I let you go, uh, Sal. Uh, one, uh, what do you think's tougher? Uh, Loudmouths uh, working the baseball night in New York or uh, your six to nine shift on WR? Um, that's a great question. There are different challenges. Now, look, I'm a radio guy who's yeah. doing a lot of TV, right? So I had a, I came from radio and had to learn how to do TV, and there's so much that goes into it. I think you have a lot more help in TV. There are great producers there. Um, you know, people are helping you go along the way. It's a shorter show, obviously, just a half hour. I think radio is more challenging because it's kind of all on you, and it's three hours. So that will – It's. I'm not saying it's not as fun. I mean, I love doing radio. There's a different – it's all you, which is great, but it's right. also all you, which is which makes it a little more challenging. So – um, if I had to rank them, I would probably say BNNY, Baseball Night New York, is probably the easiest uh, because the, all the producers, all the guys on the panel, it's a lot of fun. Loudmouth's a little more challenging than that show just because it's you and another co-host. And, right. um, and radio is the most challenging of the three because it's it's just you. Right. And a few weeks ago, of course, you had uh, Mike Frances on, which I'm sure had to be the you know the ultimate thrill considering that uh, just your history with him. But uh, my question to you is, what is your dream interview? Um, probably Mike Piazza. Oh, look at that. I mean, I could, I could, I mean, you're talking like big dream or realistic dream. Realistic dream would be Piazza. All right, I yeah. Probably, I could probably get Piazza at some day. Right. Big dream, I mean, I love Dave Letterman. I mean, he's oh, wow. Dave Letterman. Uh, he's, he's my idol. I mean, I, I nice. love watching Dave Letterman, so he would probably be the 
I mean, like, if I could ever have one dream interview, um, Letterman probably be it. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Well, Sal, listen, I appreciate you uh, spending almost 40 minutes with me just discussing your career, sports, etc. Uh, of course, anytime you want to come back on, you're more than welcome to. And uh, once again, I thank you very much for uh, spending a few minutes with me. Hi, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you for asking. Good luck with the podcast and all that, man. Keep, keep plugging away. All right, will do, man. Thanks a lot. All right. All right, Sal. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Sal Licata. Of course, I want to thank him for spending almost 40 minutes with me delving into his career and what's happening in the New York sports scene. Uh, definitely check him out on SNY. He brings a lot of exuberance and passion on the air in those panel discussions. Uh, also check out his Twitter handle at Sal Licata, which will be in the show notes on my blog page, if you go to jreels.com, of course, uh, as well as a link to his sports talk show on WOR 710 AM. Check online for listings as to when he's scheduled to be on air. Uh, a couple of quickies before I sign off. Please, people, subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to or download your podcasts. Uh, also, please post a rating and or comment. The more subscribers will increase visibility of the program, which in turn will not only generate more interest, but attract better guests. Number two, check the website, www.jreels.com, for more about future guests, archive podcasts, links to my social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, of course. Uh, feel free to submit an email for any questions, comments, criticism, praise at the JReels podcast at gmail.com. Uh, working on the next couple of guests, one is a host of a prominent WFAM program. The second guest is an absolute treat. If you recall the glory days of hockey with bench-clearing brawls, bitter rivalries from the 70s and 80s, uh, hockey to me back then was what the sport was at its best. And my guest, uh, when I tell you, is going to be unlike anyone that you ever heard on any station, any platform, no matter what. Hockey in the 80s was a thrill, not necessarily because of the goals and the games, and there were some classic games as we know, but because each team had at least two to three resident tough guys, which precipitated a lot of the bench scoring balls that I mentioned, fights, rivalries, things of that nature. So my guest, who I won't reveal just yet, and if you're in the inner circle as far as hockey fights concerned, I'm sure you have a very good idea of who I'm uh, referring to, and that will come in the weeks ahead. So certainly check the website for any information, upcoming guests, things of that nature. On that note, from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. J-Real signing off. And until next time, on the flip, baby.